Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Before I begin, I want to start out with an apology. Uh, My apology is this. Uh, Somehow I chose next Sunday's Old Testament reading to preach on. So Jeff, listen close and you'll have something to preach next week. That's my apology, so I'm skipping you ahead a week. The second thing I want to do is to say thank you on behalf of uh, many men down at Angola Prison. Uh, I'm just out of prison a few days, but I don't know if I look like it or not. I had a wonderful week of teaching the Book of Judges and your offerings between the people here at Nixa and the people at Springfield are enabling us to send some additional Bibles down, uh, mostly large print Bibles for the aging population uh, down there. My third message is a word of warning, and it's this. Since I only get to preach one service today, I intend to preach this sermon twice. (laughs) Well, not really. But many years ago, uh, I took our junior high kids to a place called Camp Silk. It's a Lutheran camp in central Illinois for a few days of outdoor education. Now, it rained the first few days, and finally the sun was out, but it was extremely muddy outside. So we decided to take the boys swimming. You may see this picture up here. Uh, But first we decided to let them have a little bit of a mud fight. Uh, Needless to say, uh, you know, like all kids, they had a really great time. They smeared mud all over themselves and they made a tremendous mess. Now, during all of this, I happened to notice uh, one boy in particular. His name was Steve. Uh, He kept running back and forth to a nearby picnic table. And when I went to see what he was doing... Uh, I saw a huge pile of mud on that picnic table, and uh, when he had the pile up, build up big enough, he stuffed his face into that pile of mud, and then he held his breath for what seemed like a long time and finally pulled his face out, and when I asked him what he was doing, he said, I'm making a plaster impression of my face for my mom. <laughs> now, I'm kind of intrigued by his attitude. See, while everybody else was playing in the mud... And making a mess, Stephen was trying to make something out of that mud. And I want to suggest to you that that's kind of the same way with our lives. We spend a fair amount of time in what I might call the mud. And some of us don't get anything out of that except muddy. Uh, there are others who are others who are just as muddy as we are, but they end up producing something of value. And this is how God intended it. Uh, He wants us to accomplish something in our lives while we're here on earth. Now, while life may be a party, and I preached about that some weeks ago, it is also a project. Now, when Jesus came into this world, he had something to accomplish, and he did. You see this passage on the screen from Luke 19.10. The Son of Man, by the way, that's Jesus' favorite name for himself in the New Testament, comes from the book of Daniel, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He had come to seek and he actually saved people through his death and his resurrection on that cross. And through his death, you and I are saved. His resurrection, we now experience his life-giving power through the constant presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, at the beginning of his ministry, uh, he, Jesus gave a more detailed description of his mission when in a worship service at a synagogue, he actually had the script, the scroll open, and he read from Isaiah chapter 61, next week's Old Testament reading. 
Now, Jesus didn't say it was the, last, the Old Testament reading because the pericopal system was not around because, well, Missouri sinners, I said Missouri synod people, I should say. Did I say Missouri sinners? Yes, I did. Well, okay, well, you were all forgiven before. But the Missouri Synod has still not come up with the pericopal reading system. Now, the passage he read from Isaiah 61 was a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And after he read the passage, he said to the congregation, and this is, I just pictured Jesus, if he had a microphone, this has been a mic drop moment for him. He said, today the scriptures have been fulfilled. In other words, these verses are about me. Boom. (laughs) And he walked away. Now, the passage of Scripture Jesus read was Psalm, or not Psalm, but Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. It's a point-by-point description of the Messiah's mission of what Jesus eventually came to do. Now, when we examine Isaiah's prophecy, we're going to take a look at it this morning, we compare it to the life of Jesus, we begin to see a connection between Old Testament and New Testament and with us even today. We see the principles of a purpose-filled life put into practice. Now, Jesus came to earth. He had a mission, and it's a mission he fulfilled. Now, he could say he lived life on purpose. And in this life, we learn what it also means to live a purpose-filled life. And I'll tell you right now that the secret of a purpose-filled life is helping other people. See, what you do for other people, and I sometimes use the word ministry, and when I use the word ministry, I always give a definition. I say ministry is whatever you do for someone else in the name of Jesus. But that's living life on purpose. What you do for others is what gives your life significance. And frankly, if your life is not defined by some form of significance in the name of Jesus, I would suggest that you're going to spend most of your life just kind of wallowing around in the mud and really not accomplishing much. Now, ideally, the life of every person who's gathered here today could be summed up in the same way that the Apostle Peter summed up the life of Jesus. It says, he went around doing good. Now, ideally, the life of this church, Redeemer and Nixon, as well as the life of the people at Redeemer in Springfield, could be summed up the same way. That the rest of the people in our community would look at Redeemer and say, that church is always going around doing good. They make something out of the mud. Now, I don't know if any church has that mission statement. I might recommend that if I were to do another consultation. And I'd say, we make something out of mud. That would be one way to look at it. When Jesus went around and he was doing something good, it was his desire that every believer... And every community of believers follow in his footsteps. So you'll see on the screen today, we're going to look at this passage of scripture, that Jesus, when he read from Isaiah, he gave us three elements of a purpose-filled life. And these three things I suggest to you will help you live your life to the full as well. And the first thing you see up there is he wants you to have a mission to accomplish Let's go back to the text, Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, these words written by Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene apply not only to the ministry of Jesus, but they also apply to us as a church and they also apply to us as individuals. God has called us 
to continue the work that Jesus began as we are guided by the Holy Spirit. That's part of the reason I continually go to prison. That's part of the reason why I still enjoy preaching and teaching. So that I, because I know I have a mission to accomplish, the mission that Jesus began and expects you and me and other people to follow. Now, the book of Acts begins with a simple little phrase that says, In my former book, Theophilus. Now, the former book he's talking about, of course, is the Gospel of Luke. He said, In my former book, I wrote about all the things that Jesus, now listen to these next three words, began to do. Began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. Now, I like that little phrase. It's Jesus began to do. It reminds us that his ministry on earth from the day he was brought into this world was just the opening act. It was preliminary stages of God's plan for the ages. Now, what Jesus began, he has called you and me, not just Jeff and I as pastors or Andrew, but he's calling all of us to continue this mission. Each and every follower, everybody who calls themselves a Christ follower, has received the Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks ago, I was privileged to do a baptism at Redeemer, a little baby girl. And on that day, the Holy Spirit came alive in her heart, and she now is on mission for Jesus Christ. She doesn't really know what that's all about yet. But hopefully, as she is raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, she's going to find out what that's like. How many of you ever read Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life? Okay, a fair number of you. You know, I think one of the really great things about that book, The Purpose Driven Life, is it actually helped a lot of people answer the question, what on earth am I here for? It's a good question to be asked. What on earth am I here for? Well, we all have a purpose and a mission to Perform, And this is one of God's greatest gifts to his people. Uh, We're not here merely to take up space or plop down in a pew that we sit in Sunday after a Sunday and just kind of hang around and wait for the skies to crack and the horns to blow and the angels to come. We go to heaven. Rather, we have all been given a task to perform. And he has also given you the power of the Holy Spirit and all of the resources, those spiritual gifts and everything else, to see to it that that work gets done. All I'm really saying, friends, is every last one of you, from the youngest to the oldest, your life has meaning. Your life has meaning. What you do with that life, of course, is what matters. You have something of value to contribute to someone in the name of Jesus. Now, some of you might say, a grand design for me? I I think you must be kidding. I mean, are you serious? I I work in a fast food restaurant. Or, are are you kidding me? I'm a stay-at-home mom. Or... Are you kidding me? I'm at the bottom rung on the leadership ladder in my business. Or some of you are going to say, well, hold it. I'm retired. Shame on you if you use that word. You never retire from the Lord's ministry. I hate it when people come up and say, I heard you're retired. Don't use that word. (laughs) Retire is what you do at night. Reenlist is what you do in the morning. Reposition and refresh every once in a while. We all have something to do in God's grand design. See, God will use you, and he will use you wherever you are to touch the lives of people in a way that maybe you have no idea you could do. See, there's no such thing in God's grand design as I'm just a, and you can fill in the blank. See, wherever you are, whatever you are, whoever you are, God can use you in a wonderful way. 
I hate to use somebody's line, but he always talks about God has a great plan for your life. But he does have a plan for your life. Now, here's the second point. You'll see it on the screen here. It tells us we also have a message to proclaim. We're on mission from God. I should have worn my Blues Brothers tie today. We are on a mission from God, but we also have a message to proclaim. Isaiah tells us that he is coming to preach the good news, proclaiming liberty and release, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is that good news that we are here to proclaim. I don't know if you know this, but the, the gospel uh, you know, is, uh, is a power that destroys sin and transforms people into something new. I'm privileged to see that each and every time I go back down to prison, where I've seen guys who've led horrible lives, who have been touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and now are a brand new creature. See, our mission to the world, too, is that we have a message of hope that changes lives of people. Now, I've, I've heard some sermons, and Jeff, I'm sure you've heard some sermons, too. I guess I shouldn't call you Jeff, Reverend Sippy, not Jeff. Uh, you've, you've probably heard sermons before that where preachers spend a disproportionate amount of time against this sin and against that sin, uh, you know, those hellfire and damnation kind of sermons, but they never, ever really get around to the message of the gospel, that Jesus came into this world to save not only us, but the entire world from sin. Now, I've heard some sermons that were so loaded heavily on what's wrong in this world that I actually walked out of the church feeling depressed. I felt discouraged. See, he defined the problem, but he never gave the solution. And the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to remember that just simply diagnosing a problem is not enough. It's not the same thing as solving a problem. So whenever you go to a doctor with an illness, you don't want him just to say, well, I think you got a cold. That'll be $25 copay. Uh, see you again soon. You want him to tell you exactly how he can take care of that. So we need to keep in mind that our message as we walk around in this world is there's a message of hope to give people. Now, there are some who think that the gospel message is simply, uh, or the message of the church is, oh, you're just an evil, wicked, bad, nasty sinner. Uh, and that's not the message. Now, that's, that's part of the message. I mean, we do need to preach the law. But the message of the gospel and the message of the church and the message your friends, your family, and your neighbors, your co-workers need to hear from you is simply this, Jesus, the Christ, came into this world to take away our sins, to take away your sins, to take away the sins of the world, the very same sins that continue to wreak havoc in this world today and that make you miserable. See, he came to set you free. I get such a kick out of it this time. I had about four or five guys down at Angola say, Doc, I don't know if I'm going to see you again. And part of me wants to say, are you planning to die? <laughs> but I, I know better to say that. And they said, because I think I'm going to be out before you come back. Now, can you imagine being released from prison after being there for 36 years? Can you imagine the feeling being freedom? I mean, can you imagine how a POW would feel being freed from a prison camp? See, our message is not that you're bad. Uh, our message is that God can make you good. Uh, our message is not that your life is a mess 
and that, and that the world is a mess and everything is falling apart. Rather, our message is that we serve a God that wants to take the broken pieces of everybody's life and of this world and put them all back together in some sort of a meaningful life. Now, I find that a very powerful message. It's a message I just love sharing. Now, there are many people who feel very hopeless about the circumstances in life. We always hand out a prayer sheet. Uh, thank yous for the Bible. It's something we can pray for. And, and one man came up to me afterwards and he said, Dr. Kolb, I can't fill out the sheet. And I said, really? He said, I can't read or write. It broke my heart. To see a guy probably in his 50s that could not read or write and has been in prison since he was 16. Now, what do you do? Say, gosh, that's too bad. I said, but you need to tell me what you'd want me to pray for. You tell me right now. He said, really? I said, you betcha. What do you want me to pray for? And he stood there and he kind of bubbled over for two or three minutes of all these things. And he said, I just want you to pray for that. Pray for those things. And I said, we're going to do that right now. I put my hands on his shoulders. I remember he's kind of, and he, he wasn't content with my hands on his shoulders. He locked me in an embrace. And so I literally prayed into his ear. See, what was I doing there? I was giving him a message of hope. The message that God wanted him to hear. A message that God wants him to share whether he can read or write. And that message is to preach the good news to the poor. And I love this, to proclaim freedom to the captives. That was that guy. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn. Now, not a week goes by that we don't see front page evidence of a world that is broken, sinful, awful. It's all around us. You just plain simple can't miss it. But the solution is, what, to complain about it? I mean, is, is, is it going to be ask the government to help? I'd say if you're going to ask the government to straighten things out, folks, you're in deep weeds. Uh, I mean, the solution is to proclaim a message from the housetops. Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't want to get really political, but I heard the president. I watched it this morning. A Christmas message that dwelt on Christianity, for heaven's sakes. The message is God is good. God is loves you. God forgives you. God has the power alone to set you from free from whatever is holding you in place. Our message is to people around us that God can handle any and all situations if you only let him. We have a mission and we have a message. And what a wonderful message. And let's not hide it under a bushel. Now, here's the third thing I want you to see. You have a mission to accomplish. You have a message to proclaim. But you also have a ministry to perform. Now, remember before I said a ministry is whatever you do for someone else in the name of Jesus. Which means you don't need to do it in the confines of Redeemer Lutheran Church Nixa or Redeemer Lutheran Church in Springfield. You can do it where you work. You can do it where you play. You can do it where you exercise. You can do it wherever you shop. See, Isaiah says here in this... He said the Messiah would comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve, bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And he goes on to say that God's people will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. So the Messiah's 
mission, and our mission as well, is twofold. It is to rebuild and renew. Now, Isaiah was talking about the Messiah in terms of the nation of Israel. But we also see it has to do with individuals' lives. Imagine lives that are broken down and need to be renewed. I think of some from the Bible, for example. What about the woman caught in adultery? Her life needed to be rebuilt and renewed. Or that demoniac, that guy who was filled with demons in the Gadarenes. Or the man born blind, or any number of other people in Scripture. See, in the ministry of the church, which is recorded in the book of Acts, we see it in terms of racial harmony. To rebuild it and renew racial harmony. Of the poor being helped. Of widows being fed. Of families coming back together again. And marriages healed. And and the gospel just being spread to the entire ends of the earth. And see, if we set our hearts on people that are hurting. And look for ways to inject hope into their lives. We fulfill the calling that God has placed us on earth for. Both as a church and as individuals. See, our message, the message that we have, we must proclaim, and you'll see this verse on the screen now, is much more than just mere words. 1 John 3.17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It's a good question. Let's look at the next passage here, James 2. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If any of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Friends, if you want to live a meaningful, purpose-filled life as a Christ follower, you need to understand that words will never, ever be enough. And opinions will never take the place of actions. See, God has called us not only to herald the truth, to preach the gospel, but also to demonstrate what we actually believe in the gospel is true. Now, I don't know if you know what the age-old formula for success is. It's called find a need and fill it. Or maybe you've heard a message recently called all in. I would imagine a few people have heard that before. Maybe we should just give it a try. When you see a need, whether it's financial or otherwise, that you have the wherewithal to supply, supply it. Now, you see a few other words up there. It's called zero-based ministry. This is a term I came up with a number of years ago. And the way zero-based ministry works is I, I had a man come up to me. This had been after I'd visited his son in jail a few times in another county. He came up to me and he said, Pastor... <clears throat> do you ever think about doing any work at the Illinois Youth Center? Now, in northern Illinois, the Illinois Youth Center was about two or three miles from our church. And I said, yes, every time I drive by, I pray. And uh, he said, well, have you ever thought about doing some?" I said, well, you know, I've got so many other things to do right now. I said, but obviously, you have thought about it. He said, oh, man, I think about it all the time. And so I told him, okay, if you'll go out and you will find... 
three or four or five other people in our congregation who have that same heart for, let's say, a local jail ministry, you guys come and put together a plan of what you want to do there. Bring it back to me. I will talk to you. And we're going to see to it that it happens. We won't go to any boards or any committees. I'm just going to tell you to go do it. But I'm going to tell you that we probably will not be able to fund it this year because it's not in our budget. We may fund it in the future. Oh, within a month, Don was back with his group of men. And today, Lord of Life Church not only has people who work as tutors for these young boys, they run the baseball, the softball program, the basketball program, and they also, at Christmas time, put together a sack full of cookies and tracks for everybody that's in that group of people. I think it's almost 600 people. In fact, they collect so many sacks of cookies that they give them to a corresponding woman's jail in our area. And they go out there and they sing Christmas carols in cottage after cottage and share the message of hope that God has given them. That's zero-based ministry. I have no idea what's on your heart and mind that you think Pastor Andrew or Pastor Jeff should be doing. (laughs) They already have ministries that they're involved with. But if you're excited about something, you go find something. Some other people are excited about it too. Get them together. Talk to one of these pastors. Come talk to me. We'll help you. You just go plain simple. Do it. Now, you may not be able to solve the problems of the world, uh, you know, any more than your church can probably solve the problems of your community. But I bet if you, you could knock a few of those out, if you all got serious about living a life of mission. Now, years ago, for example, I heard of a very small church who surveyed the people in their community and discovered that there was a need for training on practical parenting messages. So the churches began offering, not at the church, because the church sometimes kind of scary, but they began offering a class on parenting. And it was free to the public. There was no strings attached. And guess what? People in that class came and they learned, and many of them came to know Jesus for the very first time, and that's that's good. But to be honest, that's not really the point. The point is, as God's people, we're to keep our eyes open for opportunities we have for ministry. We serve them not because we want to be served, but because the master says, I've given you the talents and the ability to go out and do this. And we do it not because we want to have more members. We do it because it's part of who we are in our DNA as Christ followers. See, we don't leverage them just so we add numbers to our our, our, our group. We serve them because the master said, I came not to be served, but to be a servant to many. See, Peter said Jesus went around doing good, and that's what we are supposed to do as well. Not to earn our salvation as Christ followers. Our salvation is already secure. But we have a message of hope to give to this world and to demonstrate the healing power of God's love through our actions. See, life is good. I can say that. I mean, life is good. I enjoy life. And God wants his people to enjoy life to its fullest. But it's not just a party, although it's fun. It is a project. God has called us to make a difference in the world around us in whatever way we can. And there may be a lot of people out there who only want to get muddy. I'm not interested in being muddy. I want to make something out of that mud. 
See, when Jesus came into this world, he brought with him a very special gift. It's called the gift of significance. So you're not just a meaningless little dot in the universe. You have the power and the potential that God has given you through the presence of the Spirit, your spiritual gifts, and on and on to do something meaningful. And that is to proclaim a message of hope and to perform ministry of healing. See, it's all about helping other people whenever you have the opportunity, whenever you have the ability. I mean, forget now about everything you can't do to solve the world's problems and think only about what you can do. See, like Jesus, you too can go around doing good. This is how Jesus lived his life on earth, and this is how we should invest our lives as well. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, our worship continues as we gather together our tithes and our offerings. Thank you. 